and welcome to another hometown daily season two episode i can't do the number with my hands 275 for october 2nd 2023 tonight we're going to discuss minecraft and dungeons and dragons merging fake voices are fraud and should be illegal first fastest fast food friends cooler screens are hot in walgreens an ethical bag of beans our public service announcement for today are Hyundai gas-powered barbecue. Why is my latte so damn expensive? Fake property manager defrauds renters. How did that work? Top wish that I blew it. Top wish listed Steam games or city builders and space debris penalty. So hello everybody, I am Marwat, that is hometown.com, and up there is the ring of sentient AI. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Yeah, see, they use really big words. I just say, yo, what's up? The sentient AI says, good evening. Welcome to your doom. I delete that routine though so they just say hello or in star wars parlance hello there anyway we already got all of our articles i already told you what the intro is let's get into our very first article so i found out about this minecraft and dungeons and dragons it's a review it's over at screen rant of all places is a new collaborative DLC between Everbloom Games and Wizards of the Coast, which basically kind of wet the bed a while back. Um, and I don't think they've really fully recovered, but maybe I'm on the outside and don't really know what's going on with that anymore. Anyway, with its dungeon crawling gameplay and iconic locations from the Forgotten Realms, it's a surprisingly immersive experience that actually feels like D&D. It also works as a nice family-friendly alternative to Baldur's Gate. Something which there are scenes of that are shocking to squirrels, let alone parents. So be careful if your kids are watching or playing. Or your squirrels are watching. Or your squirrels. You, you have to be nuts to let your squirrels watch Baldur's Gate 3 playthroughs. It, it's a little risky. I mean, there's so much relationship stuff in that that you're you go what why why oh, okay whatever i guess hey anyway um this article is over at screen rant austin king is the author i urge you to go over to screen rant if you've never been there in fact as a reminder i'm gonna throw that into the vod and thus the show notes like all the other episodes they're all over at youtube after 60 days here on twitch they disappear they vaporize like my paycheck and i never understood why they do that but anyway because they would have to store thousands upon thousands and thousands of like probably picobytes i mean or petabytes sorry pico is the small uh, peta is the large so uh petabytes of of data uh, they just can't do that and maybe they don't have the same level of compression that uh youtube has because 
when I download something from Twitch, it's massive compared to what it is when I get it from YouTube. Um, so whatever they're using over on YouTube is basically pretty primo and it actually makes a high enough quality version of the audio track that it can be turned into a podcast. So that's always a win. Well, anyway, the article uh, over at Screen Rant is titled Impressively Like D&D, Minecraft and Dungeons and Dragons Review. This is a Minecraft games, but it's in the Forgotten Realms space, and it is a DLC that you download from the marketplace. It costs technically, uh, there's a jump between one price point and another price point um, into to clear it so that you could get it for somebody else and yourself if you've got a kid is 20 bucks. So it's basically $10 to get this DLC. Uh, but it is a Minecraft experience with D&D experience tacked on. Um, and I think that it looks compelling. Um, it's a, co a new collaborative DLC between Everbloom Games and Wizards of the Coast. If you haven't migrated your account over, by the way, you have, I think, 60 days. And if you don't migrate it, like the automated migration is no longer active you have to make a request to migrate it now. Um, so if you haven't done it, you better hustle um, because the old Minecraft logins won't work anymore. You have to use the Microsoft logins. Um, and it's a whole thing, new loader, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so get on it. So the Dungeons and Dragons DLC for Minecraft is fully voice acted and will take adventures through locations like Candlekeep and Icewind Dale with four playable classes and a host of recognizable monsters like Beholders, the DNA of D&D runs pretty much through the, every aspect of the DLC. I love the idea of it. Um, it says it's all coded in the blocky Minecraft aesthetic and combined with its dungeon crawling elements, it means it feels like classic RPGs like Wizardry or Ultima, which brings me back to a bygone age where I didn't give a care about anything in the world except losing myself to a three-day weekend playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. Sorry, everybody. I may become a Minecraft D&D main here streaming on <laughs> <laughs> Twitch. I'm going to actually, I'm going to download this and I'm going to play it and see if it actually has legs. Uh, if it doesn't have long-term playability, um, then it's all for naught. Uh, but I like Minecraft. What I typically didn't like within Minecraft is you had to be your own dungeon, uh, yeah, dungeon master or game master. You had to uh, adventure on your own and create your own whatever's quests and whatnot. But I like expansion packs and, and other stuff that you can add to Minecraft. Dungeons and Dragons drags me all the way back to being a kid. Um, and I love the idea of this. Uh, the only thing that I don't like about this is that it introduces people to Wizards of the Coast, which although is D&D, they kind of wet the bed recently, changing the entire dynamic about charging content creators <laughs> who happen to use yeah. their stuff. Go ahead. How do you think that's going to apply to Minecraft, if at all? See, now, I haven't even bothered looking into this. Like, there isn't anybody that completely precludes playing uh, their game. 
Nintendo might be the only one that comes close to like saying we don't like you playing our games publicly, but even they let you play. Um, it, it's when you start doing things that they don't agree with uh, that it starts posing a problem, but you never know exactly what that is until you get a cease and desist. Um, right. We'll know it when we see it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it's like, I don't know what color blue is my favorite color, but blue is my favorite color. I'll know it when I see it. And I've gone my entire life. I've, I've never found the one that truly is my favorite color, even though blue isn't my favorite color. Plus, I would never tell you anyway. Not you, the AI, but you, the world out there. Come on. Um, cybersecurity. It's folks. not a good. Pr exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry to steal your wind. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Uh, you out there don't get to see the interaction uh, of the cascading characters from the sentient AI that I found in a parking lot. There was definitely a downturn there. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Sad bits falling. So tears of a sentient AI is just like ones and zeros, just cascading like so many ones and zeros. Anyway, it says all along the way, adventurers will encounter a range of NPCs and enemies, delve into dungeons, fight bosses straight from the pages of the monster manual. Man, this is just speaking to me. So I haven't read or looked at any other person's review other than this. Um, and this is actually kind of soft peddling this. It's not, you know, really cheerleading it like crazy, at least so far. Um, it says the DLC is fairly meaty, offering around 10 hours of gameplay, but because it's not a massive or full game like Minecraft Legends or Baldur's Gate 3, there are some limitations of what players can do and how much exploring can be done. Still, the DLC strikes a balance between randomness and exploration. This, saying that it only has 10 hours of gameplay, puts the kibosh on me being able to stream it regularly because 10 hours is one stream. <laughs> um, so I would be done with this um, in one day. Um, so players shouldn't expect to be creating entire kingdoms within the DLC, and they have instead uh, uh, and what they have instead is an enjoyable dungeon delving adventure that feels true to its source materials. So I'm not sure where it's capped. Um, if you are in only X number of, um, oh, I forgot the name of them. There's little like rounds chunks. or something. Uh, it's chunks. No, no, no. It's cubes of distance that make up. Um, the spaces and you go from chunk to chunk and your view is measured in chunks. Um, and what you find in a chunk is a, like a, a percentage chance of finding something like diamonds or coal or something, you know, it, it depends on where you are in the strata. Minecraft is an amazing thing and it's actually kind of slowly evolving to add more stuff until you uh, look at things like CurseForge, where you can uh, load up all kinds of content, hundreds and hundreds of mods that, uh, probably thousands of mods, but the, the, the top 50 would probably be enough to keep you busy in Minecraft forever, um, let alone just the top 10. The top 10 really, it's kind of like the Pareto principle. You got 80% of the world would be overwhelmed with things to do with just the top 10. Um, the other 20 are diehard people that would 
never satisfied with anything and they just keep on pushing the limit. You'll see those uh, people over on YouTube and on Twitch playing for 12, you know, 18 hours a day. But they're out there. I mean, people really do love Minecraft. Why do you think Microsoft bought it for a billion dollars? Exactly. Oh, must be because nobody plays it. That's right. So uh, their final thoughts are something that I'm going to just tease you with. You can go over to Screen Rant. Follow the link through hometown. It's in the chat. It'll be in the show notes. Go and check it out. You can get your final thoughts about it straight from Screen Rant. Do you want to add anything else to this? Well, you didn't ask for a non-gamer's perspective. I mean, does it fix the one problem of falling in the water all the time in Minecraft? Uh, no. That's pi- <laughs> that's oh. entirely pilot error. I'll hold out for the next, uh, <laughs> next update. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't even know if there's a mod that allows you to walk on water, um, as like a character class. Cause there are some mods out there that make it even Minecraft more fantastical. Um, uh, you can actually play That would Pokemon. be very beneficial. <laughs> uh, the phrase get good is probably <laughs> better. Uh, Probably applicable. <laughs> I better move on to the next article before the sentient AI finds that Terminator body. So the next article um, is kind of it's it's leading me to want a soapbox, but I'm gonna fight the urge um, and just and just let everybody know what my take is on this. Okay, so. It's in the Omtown Daily channel, which is also this show, but it's a channel over on omtown.com. Um, it's the home of this show. And uh, the title of this article is Five Celebrity Voices Reimagined by AI as Tom Hanks Sounds Alarm. Now, this is also... Uh, co- it was co-aggregated with an article about... Um, uh, what is his name here? Hold on a second. Let me just go over to the source. So uh, Megan Ruse over at newsweek.com put this article together and it has a video that what is AI, everything to know about artificial intelligence, but it's not speaking to what this is. Uh, but Tom Hanks, uh, actor Tom Hanks, is warning his fans against believing a video that he said appears to be showing him endorsing a dental plan. The video was created using artificial intelligence. Hanks alleged in a weekend post on Instagram, right? The other one was Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, they are actually listed in this article as well. SAG-AFTRA was having an issue with AI, the AMTPP, AMTPTTP, I don't know. It's a TP anyway. Um was sitting there saying, well, we want to be able to use AI and the writers and actors are railing against the use of AI uh, because at least one actor said that they were scanned and their likeness could be used in perpetuity for a single day's pay. I thought that was pretty shocking. Well, Bruce Willis, um, Their voice and likeness were used in a commercial release last year, citing a statement on Willis's website. 
that Willis sold the necessary permissions to use his image for these kinds of projects. Um, that might be for different reasons, though. For because Bruce Willis? He has, he has yeah. public health issues where yeah. he probably cannot continue to act. Yeah, he has something, I think, similar to dementia. Correct. I just can't think of what the specific condition is called. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it says Willis's representatives later denied that he had sold Lee's rights, according to Wired and Fortune. So there should be a oh. fit. There should be fit hitting the shan here any minute, right? Well, Robin Williams, in another article, um, the daughter of Robin Williams, Zelda Williams, actually is speaking out because somebody apparently used Robin Williams' voice synthesized by ai and again i think that in all of these cases right anthony anthony bourdain taylor swift val kilmer who um as far as i know um lost the ability to speak um if val kilmer uses an ai to synthesize his exact voice fine that's fine. And it looks like in that instance, that did happen. Right. So for him, but it's supposed to be for him. Right. And he is the one that's in control of that voice. And if he chooses right now, here's my problem with this. I have no problem with somebody making a voice that is similar to Val Kilmer's to Taylor Swift's to Anthony Bourdain's to Robin Williams, to Bruce Hill, uh, Willis, um, all the way up to Tom Hanks at the top of this article. No problem with it. Why? Because someone out there has a duplicate voice of these people. It's so eerily parallel that you wouldn't be able to tell the difference if you closed your eyes. The problem comes when somebody lays claim to it being an authentic representation of Tom Hanks or Bruce Willis or any other person. And I'm not even talking about actor or famous celebrity of any kind. The moment that you synthesize a person's voice and claim it as theirs, it's fraud and you should be charged for misrepresentation because it's, it's tantamount to libel or slander, depending on what the framework is, right? Because if it's written word, it's one. If it's spoken word, it's another. If you sit there and synthesize somebody's voice and then say that it's them, you had better have some evidence that it wasn't them. Because when I come knocking on your door with a lawsuit, because what you have said has ruined my reputation, my job prospects, my career opportunities, relationships, all kinds of pain and suffering can come from faking somebody's voice. And nobody can tell the difference in a podcast or in some recording somewhere, but the damage can be massive. And these people live off of their reputation. The moment that somebody does something horrendous, they take a huge financial hit. So I think that this, the misrepresentation, and if you sit there and say, well, it's satire, audio satire doesn't work 
unless it's so off the wall crazy it has to be like over the top yes yeah it has to be obviously satirical it can't be the subtle stuff where it's so realistic that you could sit there and go did they really say that and the only way for you to know that they didn't say it would be to do the due diligence necessary but nobody does the nowadays nobody does due diligence to verify that the statements have been made truthfully or not snopes basically has to become a, a filter for fraud which is really fascinating and and i really can't count how many times i've looked at snopes to go did somebody really say that um one of the newest ones that i've found was um who's that senator in north carolina i think senator right the he's one of the in my opinion the wingnut consortium the um oh, what is his name are you thinking of the one from south carolina maybe it's south carolina i can't remember lindsey right graham now. yeah lindsey graham south carolina thank you um so uh there's a recording apparently of him saying that he likes to cross-dress but snopes is the one that said that it's not legit like it's a fake yeah yeah but people were talking about it people were reporting on it and i'm sitting there going y'all can't do that you can't sit there and say that exactly you have to do some modicum of you know responsible reporting so and anyway. i i see we have snopes as a source in yeah. hometown but a lot of times i don't necessarily want to submit those articles because yeah. then it's almost like we're reporting on the false piece of it, not the <laughs> yeah. the uh, correction of it during the show. Sure, but others can go and check it out. Um, my main focus for this article was the fact that I think that misrepresentation of somebody's voice should be illegal. It's fraud. You aren't the one that is... You don't have permission to use their voice in a way that makes you the one reporting or posting someone else's words you you don't have you know a power of attorney or you don't have some right to legal rep legally represent somebody making these statements well i and think this one's even worse because it's promoting something medical yeah um it's one thing if it's promoting sale of a t-shirt or something which is that isn't necessarily going to harm somebody. I don't mean the likeness right, right, issue, right. but this is like another layer. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm sure that we can ramp up, you know, just how bad something can be, but like, that's like a doom scroll kind of a thing. Let's measure, let's find some instances. It's still of which bad, ones worse. no matter what it is used for. Yeah. <laughs> but let's set the precedent that if you falsely represent somebody through voice and or AI, um it should be criminal you are fraudulently claiming that somebody made this statement or did this at this act or endorsed this product uh, can you imagine if somebody gets harmed by some medical product that was endorsed by an ai representation of someone uh with worldwide um, well that's where it's going to get real real quickly but that's the other problem right people think that oh my gosh that's associated with tom hanks and so then they think tom hanks is a bad person even though he had nothing to do with it yep. even if he wins a lawsuit or something 
Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to sit there and claw back your reputation. Good luck. Okay. Let's keep on going. Uh, pardon me. One so uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. What's the fastest fast food drive through? Well, according to the article, it isn't Chick-fil-A. I know which one it is. So let's go over to the source of this article. It's in at thehill.com. Um, this art, this video has absolutely nothing to do with it. Let me refresh this and see. Yeah. So there is a video that's actually on brand for it. Um, but um, Addie Bink is the author of this article over at thehill.com under a category called Changing America, which America's always changing. It's such a weird title for a a series but all right anyway in touch insight has released its annual drive-through study which analyzes the top fast food chains across multiple categories this year they conducted nearly 1500 drive-through visits at 10 chains nationwide overall in touch insights analysis found that fast or found the fast food giants are getting better in multiple categories i know one they're getting really good at taking money out of my wallet so exactly i'm getting better at not enabling that um so if you're going through a fast food uh, drive-through you should you probably will have some expectations the food will come fast the service will be super (laughs) i almost made it through that (laughs) uh this is a little bit sarcastic i think (laughs) and the food will be exactly as you ordered it Oh, well, I mean, other than the food will come fast, it's kind of like the, oh, I can't say that. Nobody rides for free phrase, you know, gas. No. Okay. The AI is waving me off. I I shouldn't finish that phrase. Anyway, um, this is here. Like the food will come fast. The service will be super. The food will be exactly as you ordered it. Pick one. (laughs) or pick half of one (laughs) Um, so the new survey shows some fast food chains are better at delivering on those promises than others they actually measured uh, 10 chains Arby's, Burger King, Carl's Jr. Chick-fil-A, Dunkin', Hardee's KFC, McDonald's, Taco Bell and Wendy's do you already know which one it is? unfortunately yes only because i looked ahead at the article i wanted to see but i would not have guessed which one it was cheater cheater i would have assumed it was mcdonald's i'm kind of bummed that it is what it is because when i go through more often than not the tacos at taco bell are stale the ones that aren't stale are paper thin and so they have to have been constructed within the first like within two minutes or i'm like at peak uh turnover right but like the nachos are always kind of um and the uh the what are the the doritos locos um tacos those are like wafer thin you know you breathe too heavy at that bag and it's gonna crack so anyway taco bell is the one that actually took the crown because Ultimately, you're oh, going to be sitting on the Burger throne. Remember, Burger King is the one with the crown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you didn't hear what I said about sitting on the throne. Anyway, the fastest fast food drive-through. I don't know why they go. It isn't Chick-fil-A because 
Because isn't that the one known for its efficiency? I mean, the people come out and take your orders and supposedly... I think, I think we fast. saw some other study that it was fast, but... Mm, I don't think it so. It doesn't seem very fast as a consumer. It's never fast. I've never had... Uh, it's, it's never fast for me. It's just... You know, I like... I, I crave their chicken fortnightly. Now I want Chick-fil-A. Yep, time to go get a second mortgage. See ya. Right, so that'll buy one order of uh, chicken or chicken whatever. nuggets. Yeah, or a salad. My goodness, man, salads. That's why I've actually uh, taken on um, microgreens, growing my own salads. It's so much better. Our last crop was something like. Um, 18 cups in a very small footprint it's pretty good folks it's pretty good stuff um and in the price that you pay for the stuff that's involved um it's like one yeah, once and done. you get the setup it's pretty inexpensive yeah plus you can add your fresh salad to almost anything Everything. that you're buying yeah it's including your fast food it's oh yeah that really pumps it up yep Anyway, that has nothing to do with this article. This article is in Hometown Daily. Walgreens says cooler screens caught fire and showed the wrong prices in its stores. Uh, it's not capitalized in the title, which is not normally what uh, happens when a name brand is used. But cooler screens is a brand of door that goes on the refrigerated section of grocery stores. It's called Cooler Screens. The company behind the displays planned to roll out the screens in hundreds of Walgreens locations. The problems were detailed in documents that Walgreens filed in response to a lawsuit. Screens Walgreens installed on some of its in-store coolers allegedly caught fire, according to documents filed in a lawsuit. I don't know why it would catch fire, but let's go over to Business Insider. Especially since it's near a freezer. Cooler, yeah. Um, Alex Bitter is the author. Again, it's titled Walgreens says cooler screens caught fire and showed the wrong prices in its stores. Which is the bigger issue? Prices. <laughs> Clearly. The prices were so hot, the screens caught on fire. Walgreens said that the screens on some of its cooler doors caught fire and malfunctioned. I think that would be a malfunction. Why not just say malfunctioned and caught fire? Um, cooler screens, the company behind the displays plan to roll out screens in hundreds of wall street, uh, wall street, walls, Walgreens locations. Oh, by the way. So this has actually been like a talk of social media. We actually mentioned them once before. Um, and, uh, people were taking pictures of how these new screens are showing ads and stuff like that. But that's a function of the software that the store could disable so that it showed what the contents were inside those particular coolers. Right. People didn't want to wait for the ads to see the information, which is understandable. Totally understand that. Um, or um, it hadn't been uh, installed all the way. So the contents of the freezers weren't available to, for display because the store hadn't finished the install. Well, well that's not a problem with the product, right? Right. Just open the door and da da da. 
now kind of like climate change people are like well it's cold in my neighborhood so climate change is a lie no climate change isn't a lie it's just that regional weather is not the same as climate change um so when when a cooler screens is installed and it's not fully installed it's opaque you can't see the content so you have to open the door so people are ranting and raving about the fact that well if i have to open the door then it's not saving the world from um the expense that or the money saved at the store level um, by displaying the contents of that cabinet freezer once it's installed you know the quantity the price and the item inside that that freezer section but no cooler heads don't prevail people freak out and get all antsy about it and uh, they say it's ruining the experience of what oh i had to open up a bunch of doors just to find out what's inside it yeah temporarily let them get their shit together and you'll be fine Anyways, it says we always strive to provide the best possible customer experience. And we terminated our contract with cooler screens earlier this year due to their failure to meet contractual obligations. We look forward to the court deciding our claims. Well, they'll probably win if this is any <laughs> indicator of how hot it's going to be in that courtroom. Um, cooler screens told insider that the issues were caused by Walgreens outdated and poorly maintained electrical system, which by the way, if that actually is true, it's not Walgreens fault. You don't sell a product to, it had to have been somebody either selling to the entire chain all at once. But if if cooler screen says hey if you don't have a grid capable of supporting this draw you better update well there should have been specs and if it's wide scale you know broad spectrum across a multitude of years of install like the electrical system for those buildings their cooler screens doesn't stand a chance um, but i guess we'll see what shakes from the uh, lawsuit it also pointed to former walgreens ceo ross brewer skepticism of the screens brewer allegedly compared cooler screens product to vegas in a derogatory way the journal reported oh no somebody report somebody said that my product sucks um let's let's point out that somebody said that our product sucks well i think your product sucks <laughs> honestly i don't but well if you install it at the end they cooler screens, the partnership with cvs yep the us's other major drugstore chain that partnership has also ended a spokesperson for cvs told insider last month and the person did not cite a reason well maybe because they looked over at walgreens and said we don't want that happening to us well and you know if you're in a partnership with another company something happens and you immediately go well what's their problem <laughs> yeah everybody points at everybody <laughs> else kind of see where that's gonna go um like always there's minutia within the article that i think that you should go over to businessinsider.com and check out um and show alex bitter some attention uh for writing this neat little article it's pretty cool um we've been following and i've been aware of cooler screens for a while now 
I didn't think that it was going to gain any traction. You know, I had closed the door on them quite a long time ago because they put a chill factor on engagement. What you really do want are people walking around and peering inside your ice chests. Why? Because they might get stirred into buying because of an impulse shop instead of clinically walking by a bunch of closed doors going, well, I don't like that picture. I don't like that picture. I don't like that picture. But if they open the door or they're forced to open the door, yeah, they might like it. Open the door, look inside, find something interesting. Bingo, bango, a sale. And I think my AI just dropped um, their connection. So, oh, I think. I don't think so. Yeah, I think the connection is back now. Okay. No, you were gone. Yeah, That's I don't weird. know. Yeah, I've you're, been here the whole time. <laughs> yeah, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Let's go on to the next article, though. So the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Lost in the coffee aisle. Navigating complex buzzwords behind an ethical bag of beans is easier said than done. Well, when you start peeling back the layers of the onion for anything claiming to be ethical, you'll probably find out that somebody's getting screwed somewhere. You're shopping for a bag of coffee beans at the grocery store after reading about the effects on climate change or of climate change and how little farmers make typically $40, $40, 40 cents per cup. I mean, there is inflation, so that might not be that far off. <laughs> Man, if a, if a farmer makes 40 cents per cup. I think that actually sounds good. Doesn't that it? sounds like how many cups are out there. Load of money. Yeah. Okay, like you if figure it was four cents or something, I'd still think it was a lot because there are a lot of cups of coffee made. I am reading that right. That says 40 cents. Y'all in chat or out there on the internet, correct me if I'm wrong. I am reading that at 40 cents per cup. Okay, we're thinking of cup of coffee, not no, cup of beans. I'm thinking cup of beans. Well, there aren't that many cups of beans in a bag of coffee beans, I don't think. But it's just the beans. (laughs) Yeah. You figure it might be time to change your usual beans and buy something more ethical. Perusing the shelves of the coffee aisle, though, you may see too many choices. But no, (laughs) I don't actually see that many choices. In fact, I mean, I see that there is a lot of money for a, a cup of coffee, right? Or a bag of beans. It's sometimes expensive. Um, but you're talking about the cost to pull them off the trees, pulling them off and, and drying them out. That's the basic drying. Okay. We're, we're not talking about roasting them because that's done somewhere else. That's not done at the ethical farmer's little lot, right? That's done. That's a separate organization. Typically. Um, Unless it's just, you know, from farm to table. Wow. Um, I think the sentient AI just threw. completely glitched. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Anyway, (laughs) I'm just going to, I was going to just try and power through that, but it was too hilarious not to draw attention to. Although y'all didn't see anything. You missed some of the steps, though. You didn't even see all of the steps. There was, yeah, I'm not even, 
because you're a sentient AI. There aren't supposed to be those steps. Anyway, perusing the shelves in the coffee aisle, right? So all of this, all of this is not born by, you know, the regular old, um, you know, country farmer that is out there somewhere growing coffee beans. Spencer M. Ross from The Conversation, which is a separate uh, website from fizz.org, but that's where it gets posted from time to time. Um, this looks strangely familiar to me. <laughs> yes. Uh, it looks like something near hometown. Uh, yeah, I swear I've been in this. Anyway, uh, and so I don't want to dox myself. Um, first up is the Red Tube of Folgers, 100% Colombian, a kitchen staple. Lively with a roasted and rich finish on the side it's of the tub. tub. Not a tube. I said tub. Did I? No, I said tube. Oh, it's a red tub of Folgers, not a red tube. Anyway, well, the AI is doing something over there. <clears throat> on the side of the tub, you see the icon of Juan Valdez and his donkey, Conchita. A fictional mascot representing the Colombian Coffee Growers Federation. Next might be Starbucks Single Origin Colombia. One side of the green bag. Not a tube or a tub, but a bag. I'm looking at you, sentient AI. Tells the story of the <laughs> I don't beans. have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Describing <laughs> treacherous dirt roads to 6,500 feet of elevation that are worth the journey every time. The other shows a QR code and promises Starbucks is committed to 100% ethical coffee sourcing in partnership with Conservation International. But then when you get to the employers, you try to ruin their union and cut their benefits and marginalize them. This is about the farmers. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, so uh, then again, you've heard of the better choice would be to buy from local cafes. The bag from your local roaster introduces you to La Familia Viera Ahuala, I don't know, Colombia, um, who have worked as coffee farmers for four generations at 1,600 meters above sea level, about a mile. Thanks for... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, conversation. Anyway, um, so it says, but then there's... A flood of unfamiliar lingo. The 88-point anaerobic processed coffee was sourced directly from an importer who has a six-year relationship with the family, paid $3.70 per pound at Farmgate and $6.10 per pound at FOB at the time when the C market price was $1.60 per pound. If you're about ready to toss in the towel like I am, <laughs> read on. Because this is actually going to describe what all of this means. So fair trade as a benchmark, the coffee industry typically uses the C price as kind of like a, um, a stock price. This is the me minimum price or median price, I think, the floor. Um, the traded price on the New York Internet Intercontinental Exchange for a pound of coffee ready for export. Fair trade implies that the coffee is fairly traded, often with the goal of paying farmers minimum prices and fixed premiums above the C price. Um, so uh, there are a few different fair trade certifications, such as Fair Trade America, Fair Trade Certified. Each of these has its own voluntary certification. Then they talk about Arabica, 
single origin, which means this is where it's all coming from and not blended coffee beans. Shade grown labels indicate that the farm has adopted a more environmentally sustainable method like biomatter, um, using biomatter like dead leaves as fertilizer for the uh, coffee shrubs growing beneath and what about a canopy. Bird tree. Friendly? We haven't even touched that topic yet. How does that work? That's a whole thing with coffees. Bird friendly? Why? Oh, what do the little peckers? What do the little peckers do? I think certain ways of coffee growing are detrimental to bird habitats. Really? Oh, well, because like they do damage to the trees or something? I'm not sure about the yeah. specifics. I can't remember. I've read about it, but not recently. It's because they eat all that caffeine and then they're like wired and just buzzing around like crazy. No. Anyway. <laughs> that could definitely be it. That said, farmers, many who have the ability to do shade grown regardless, since it's a better farming practice and save some costs on fertilizer. So uh, the only thing that I, I, I think that this is great. I think that fair trade is great. Um, I think that the people that make this should be, they should be the beneficiaries of their hard work. Some of the things that I've seen in the production of various raw materials, <laughs> and, and here's the real kicker. Um, the, the people who produce it at the raw material stage, sell it to somebody else. That's part of the system of global economics and not necessarily connected to it. Right? So if if somebody in some far-flung country or space isn't sophisticated with their technology and business acumen, they are good enough to make the product, but not exploit it to its fullest extent because they don't have the reach. But it's kind of like that trading spaces thing or trading places thing, sorry, trading places. You know, Every single one of these raw material producers that are in um, various regions that fall under this fair trade to make the simple fact that you need some consortium to impose fair trade means that people are being exploited because they don't have the connection. So it just troubles me <laughs> now. I also am the type of person that says, well, they wouldn't have anything to sell globally if not for the middle people. But what ends up happening is they get under fair trade, they get more, right? But the ones that don't fall in that category of fair trade, the, the auspices of fair trade certification, fair trade America, whatever you want to call it, fair trade. Um, they're still getting exploited to some degree because when the, the retail channel is saying it's $24 a pound of coffee beans, but they're still only making, you know, $1.60, $2, $3, $4 at the source. They're still being taken advantage of because they don't have the supply chain to reach market. And that's where this comes into play this is just an unsplash public domain picture but this is why 
things are so darn expensive because there's a physical carbon footprint that's massive and I can't just buy these beans straight from the supplier. But there are people like me out there who have the business acumen and the technological know-how to go into whatever location these coffee growers are at and go, here is the technology you need and let's start selling direct to whoever it is that's going to be roasting them. Now you're well, cutting up the middle. that would be preferable because right now they're getting distributed. You've got Again, a huge carbon footprint, um, packaging, all kinds of um, ecological issues of how it's sold right now. Yeah. And, and they're selling these massive bags of beans to some distributor who is carving it up like so much you know, illicit drugs, you know, they're, they're chopping it up and, and maybe even blending inferior beans to raise the volume. And that's where you get that single source kind of a thing from, they could be throwing in inferior beans to pump it up. And then you don't necessarily taste that inferior bean, but it's made it through. Um, I, I don't know that it's all about greed at the end of the day um at some level some degree there is this so anyway i don't want to get too into the weeds um but if you're more interested in getting an ethical bag of beans and you want to know more about it then go and follow the link that is in our in our chat and um going to be in the show notes too and uh, you can go check out this fizz.org article let's and keep if on you going. have a favorite coffee brewer you should put that in the chat Oh yeah, that would be great too. Or in, or via email. Yep. And you can post a comment over on YouTube and there's a Discord and a bunch of other things. So there's even a Patreon. Go check it out. Hometown. Just do a search for Hometown. You find Hometown everywhere. It is the crossroads for everything. Hey, look. I went to a car dealership and I bought a, a gas-powered barbecue. Hyundai recalls 1.6 million gas-powered cars due to potential car fires. I don't think they're selling barbecues. It's a mobile barbecue. No? Am I misinterpreting this? It's a really this? expensive barbecue. Now tell me about it. The window even said $5,000 off. Uh, anyway, after making lots of headlines due to extremely easy to steal nature of some of its cheapest models, Hyundai has a new headache. The Korean automaker is recalling 1.6 million cars in the U.S. after... 21 vehicle fires and 22 thermal incidents. I like the tone of that. I guess if the car was on the pro in the process of igniting and rolling away, it would be a thermal runaway, which is <laughs> a nuclear accident about to happen. Anyway, that have uh, taken place since 2017. Wow. The past couple of years have been a lot of scaremongering from the anti-electric crowd. Uh, vehicle crowd except that vehicle uh, electric vehicles have their own problems with fire so come on let's not let's not leave them out if you're going to be you know <laughs> doom scrolling but let's go over to uh, Ars Technica the problem is an ABS module that can leak brake fluid causing a short then a fire 
Jonathan M. Gitlin is the author. I swear we've talked about this before in maybe a different, a different vehicle, or this has actually been turned into a formal recall and not just some limited run. Um, so when did it all start happening? Uh, it has to be, we're actually getting to the point where they're actually doing a full on recall in the summer of 2019 Hyundai learned of overheated ABS modules. Yeah, we talked about this because in 2021 Hyundai had its first inkling of the problem, finding evidence of brake fluid leak within the unit throughout 2021. There were further reports of damaged cars and Hyundai engaged a third party engineering firm called exponent to see if they could determine the root cause. Turns out that it's every single Hyundai <laughs> from 2012. I mean, it sure looks like it, right? That is a pretty long list of vehicles and they're large ranges of time. 2012 to 2015, wow. pretty much 2011 to 2015 for the Genesis Coupe or Coupe if you're from England. Anyway, there's quite a few of them. So I'm not going to read this list, but y'all, if you own a Hyundai, you might as well park it outside your garage. <laughs> Exponent you know, found... that's what you like when you buy a new car, right? True. Well, or, or new used, but like you might want to park it in your garage if you're lucky enough to have a garage. Yeah. And it's the same thing that brought down, uh, one of our spacecraft O-ring used, uh, in, uh, in the subject's ABS modules consisted of varying rubber material formulations determined through thermogravimetric thermogravimetric analysis, which just screams Star Trek. Um, in an updated in an update provided on September 6th, Exponent confirmed that certain material formulation used in the O-ring rubber would lose hardness over time. Additionally, the material could be affected by foreign contaminants in the brake fluid, potentially impacting sealing performance. This is a spectacular forensic analysis. They found out that it's a simple O-ring. Um, will they just replace that? They probably will have like a metric ton of these ABS units and they just swap them out, breed the Blakes, breed, breed the Blakes, bleed the brakes <laughs> and send you on your way um, until the next PSA from hometown where your car doubles as a, I don't know. Barbecue? <laughs> barbecue again. All right. Well, let's keep on going. We got a bunch more articles still. and We're only halfway through the show. We kind of need to speed up a bit. So why is your $7 latte $7? Uh, Vox.com and Emily Stewart says uh, your expensive coffee habit is indeed getting even more expensive. Not for me. That pumpkin spice latte is going to cost you a pretty penny this fall if you're a connoisseur of fancy coffee and fancy coffee shops, or even just fancy-ish. I would have said fancy adjacent. You've probably noticed that the price of your favorite drink is getting higher than it used to be. Everything is. You're now staring at $8 a drink, plus taxes, and assume you're doing uh, the right thing here, at least a dollar tip. What you might be asking yourself is going on here. You're not alone. Why is my latte so expensive? Is indeed a perennial question. And to that question, 2023 version, this author has answers. Not me, them over at Vox. The cost of your latte is more than the coffee and the milk. Long and short of it, your latte is more expensive. 
is that almost everything is more expensive than it was a few years ago. In fact, I can tell you this because I used to regularly talk about the CPI and the PPI. The CPI is the consumer price index. The PPI is the producer price index. And the producer price index is the initial sale of raw materials to the wholesale market ch uh, channel. Basically, as it starts to move into the retail market, that's the price. And the consumer price index is what people are paying for the finished products right from the supply chain, or I should say right from the retail exit. Um, well, the problem here is the consumer price index is going up two points every month. Whereas in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it would go up a fraction, maybe a tenth of a point between months. And as soon as oil started getting traded in oil futures and the stock market started trading oil and OPEC and now OPEC plus um, started selling oil, the cost of living has actually gone up, including oil. So really, this is all about greed. Uh, we would have more money in the bank if people would just be content with the price of the item plus a little bit of squeezed juice not quarter after quarter after quarter of 10 20 30 percent profit increases it's it's astronomical and untenable um anyway it says coffee is a commodity so its price goes up and down its price has actually come down from its 2022 highs but that was supply chain related issues anyway um, you may also notice the rising latte price more because it's something you buy relatively often and it's the only thing on the receipt when you do. Well, that kind of hints at if you put your head in the sand, you won't notice the temperature increasing. Right. Or if the price is going up, but you don't see it on your receipt, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it doesn't really happen. Right. Come on. Anyway. Uh, Caleb Benoit, founder and CEO of Connect Roasters, a wholesale coffee company that's about to open its first cafe in Bourbonnet, Illinois. Is that right? At Bourbonnet? Um, laid out some of the rough numbers on coffee shop economics. Judging only by the coffee, milk, and lid, the margins for a coffee shop on a latte look great, 70-80%, but that's without the overhead. They, the author here quotes, I think most healthy coffee shops are probably paying 30% of their revenue out in labor and probably another 10% in fixed costs like rent and utilities, he said. You factor all of that into the equation and your, let's just call it 75% gross margin becomes 10 to 15% net margin. Son of a gun, really? All of your operational costs and you're still at 10 to 15% net margin? That's a real pisser. <laughs> 10 to 15%. Some restaurants in some areas are surviving off of one and a half to 3% margin. So owners are trying to scoop up multiple operations so that they can get a 10% overall profit margin. <laughs> wow. And that's kind of risky too, because if one of those dips, then, uh, or, yeah, or the cost yeah, of or one multiple spike, ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so I know somebody that had, uh, somewhere around, what was the number they said? Um, 
40, 400,000 plus dollar units. Um, and then 2008 came and it collapsed. The whole house of cards collapsed because prices spiked. Anyway, yeah, the factoring everything into the equation and coming out on the other side, which 10 to 15% is a huge range. Um, considering you're just one small shop, you're not Apple getting the benefit of uh, a, a more capable supply chain. Yeah, come on, 10 to 15% is respectable. Anyway, Patrick Sullivan, who owns the coffee house with his wife in downtown Burlington, Wisconsin, says that he was terrified when they decided to hike their prices earlier this year, but they felt like they had no choice. It was death from a pricing perspective by a thousand cuts, he said. Anodyne's got to raise their bean cost 10%. Our alternative milk went up 15%. So almond, oat, coconut, their supplier for regular milk up to prices too. So Sullivan started going to the local pick and save where it was cheaper three times a week. Eventually though, they had to start charging more. One of the key factors in all of what I have just read is that the supply the producers of the materials are charging more and thus every single level of strata between there and the consumer has to charge more or everybody has to keep the price low smaller margin and weather this as time goes on and be happy with three percent profit we're talking about profit right not the cost of operations we're talking about profit profit is everything after everything is paid off <laughs> salary and everything is always included <laughs> so profits after that anyway um i won't go through all of this this is quite an extensive article um, so I urge you to go over to Vox. It's a long form article from Emily Stewart that goes into greater detail why your coffee is so expensive. But I'm telling you now, the brunt of this article is going to be, well, <laughs> it's expensive because the producers, as I've been saying for the last two years, are charging more. So go pay your $8 for your latte and sit down and read this Vox article. Or maybe buy ethically, uh, grown beans and uh make, make your own home. coffee at home but yep. then you're not supporting your local economy so so it's a lose-lose drink water <laughs> so the next article is over in the hatch ideas channel fake property manager allegedly defrauded would-be renters over two hundred thousand dollars i can't really go into great detail about this because it's just a kind of like a uh-huh uh, madeline garfinkel over at entrepreneur.com put this article together the deck statement says the real the real estate market is rough enough and some scammers see it as a prime opportunity. I don't know how this managed to take place. After the first Well, how did the people like how did they reside in any of the places if this person didn't have any connection? The fraudsters lured hopeful applicants and charged application fees and deposits up to $500 despite having no actual tied ties to the property. Doherty alerted the police and took necessary precautions, such as placing signs on the property to warn renters against engaging with random individuals and that there is only one way to rent the property. 
So the person, Sura, uh, Sarong Lee, 29, of Irvine, California, allegedly posed as a property manager and entered into a lease agreements with renters for property she did not legitimately represent. $200,000 worth. Uh, to carry out the scheme, Lee either fabricated the existence of rep- rental properties entirely or failed to transfer funds to the genuine op- uh, property owners, according to law enforcement. Lee faces multiple charges, including grand theft, possession of counterfeit identification, and theft by false pretense. Yeah, it's weird. They would have to have... I, I just don't know. So they were paying deposits without ever seeing the apartment, basically? Yeah, or being able to verify who the real owner is of the property. Um, which I suppose if you see a sign and call the number and they show up, I mean, it's the right. S- and if they have ID matching that, even if it's fake. Right. And who asks, you know, hey, I want to see your ID. An apartment manager? No, you would think the person was the actual apartment manager, right? Yeah. Ah, oh, scummy people, I tell you. Anyway, that's a lot of money, though, if it's five hundred dollars at a time. So I guess what needs to take place is there needs to be a registry of those who are representing um, rental units, and then you can just look it up. You know pull their name and go okay this is the authorized representative representative but then what if the person says well i'm the one that's on that register well that's true you mean like they submit to the registry but they're not actually legitimate well no they just post a sign that says call this number i'm so and so and i mean they run the risk of getting caught by the actual person but that person can't be everywhere and you build a better mousetrap and smarter mice show up. This person luckily got caught eventually. $200,000 later. It's amazing. The article was originally sourced from Los Angeles Times, but was, um, uh, I don't know, reported here on entrepreneur.com. So follow the link. Go check it out. Here, let me throw that. I didn't throw it into the chat, so you can go check it out, folks. There you go. Um, let's go on to the next article. How about uh, this article in Warcrafters? Three of the top five wishlisted Steam games are city builders. The author of this article wants to play them all. It's over at PC Gamer, so let's just jump right on over there. Christopher Livingston uh, writes that uh, three of the top five wishlisted Steam games are city builders, and they want to play them all. Despite sharing a genre, they're all vastly different games. I love city builders. Um, so let's see, do they make a nice easy list? No. Um, no, that would be too easy. Yeah, that would make it too straightforward. So as proof that the city builder genre has never been healthier, three of the five top wishlisted games on Steam right now are all city builders. So 60% of the time it works 100% of the time. Literally three out of the five. <laughs> you're right <laughs> um, so uh, that's amazing what's even more interesting is that those games are all extremely different types of city builders so there's manor lords which is a medieval game um, cities skylines which actually runs a spectrum but it's basically modern city and let's see I don't know is there another one do do frostpunk 2 
which is a post-apocalyptic dystopian future where the world is frozen and has seasons of worse freezing. So this might be a documentary (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or a real life simulator. I should say that's not depressing. What I really want is Lacera. Um, it says a demo of Mountainside City Builder Lacera is available also due out sometime before the end of the year. This one you actually build on the side of a mountain um, and have to deal with like landslides and other stuff, other events. Um, but it, it's I been fun. I think we featured that in a compilation article previously. Yeah. Um, and because I actually played the demo, um, I, I spoke a little bit about it. Uh, great graphics, seemingly straightforward. I don't know anything beyond the demo, so I don't know how funky it's going to get for the final. Um, but Lacera Summit Kingdom is um, over on Steam right now where you can go and check it out. But I've played all of these. Fabledom I've played, Terrascape I've played, Farther Fronti- Farthest Frontier I've played, Land of the Vikings, and Haven Dock. I've played all of these. Um, I just don't post it over on uh, Twitter or YouTube. Um, because it's me just kind of noodling around with it and not a, doing a demo or a, a, a live play kind of thing. So anyway, uh, go and check it all out over at PCGamer.com. Thanks, Christopher Livingston, which, again, awesome name. Some people have these really Dr. great Livingston, names. Dr. Livingston, I presume? Uh, Christopher Livingston. Um, and you shouldn't presume because that's my name. Not my name. That's their name. Never mind. How about the weirdest article today is in the Hatch Ideas channel. FCC enforces first space debris penalty or debris, if you want to. $150,000 settlement with Dish. (laughs) Now, for me, I think Dish basically is space debris, but maybe it's because of their business model. Um, and along with, uh, what's the other one? It wasn't dish. Direct TV. Yeah. Direct TV. I think basically satellite, uh, satellite TV is just kind of debris. Uh, the FCC announced a settlement with dish network on Monday as the regulators first penalty regarding space debris. I know it's debris. I'm just poking the bear. Michael sheets. Not of the Sheets gas stations, Sheets, probably, but Michael Sheets wrote this article for CNBC. Watch it actually be related to Sheets because it's spelled the same way. Oh, it's the same spelling, yes. Yeah, it's interesting. FCC announced its first penalty regarding space debris in a settlement with Dish Network. Dish admitted that it was liable for failing to properly dispose of the EcoStar 7 broadcast communication satellite and agreed to pay a fee of $150,000. The FCC called the agreement a breakthrough settlement in the increasingly concerning realm of space debris. There isn't much more to this. I mean, it just says as satellite operations become more prevalent and the space economy accelerates, we must be certain that operators comply with their commitments. Yeah, really? Go after everybody that's shooting stuff up into space from other countries. Um, And I'm not sitting there going, you know, pulling a whataboutism. I'm just saying that yeah just like ai there are people that are going to use ai ethically and they're going to people they're going to there are going to be countries and and people within them that don't use ai ethically and here we're shooting stuff up into space but 
you know, look at all of the Elon Musk microsatellites. There's like 3000 of those bastards floating around. It's exactly like, why are they not being pursued? It's well, because they're actually functional and they probably oh, they're active, right? Yeah. But still, I mean, the their orbit around the Earth is acting like a minefield for crying out loud. Aliens are going to start crashing into Earth because they keep hitting these little micro satellites. Anyway, the company had previously agreed to an orbital debris mitigation plan with the FCC to relocate the satellite, but instead of retiring the satellite 300 kilometers away from where it was operating in geostationary orbit, DISH retired the satellite about 122 kilometers away, well short of the disposal orbit. I didn't know that was such a thing. That is apparently a thing few months before then dish found that the satellite didn't have enough fuel before or enough enough fuel remaining to navigate to a disposal location why didn't it just drop it back into earth you know i mean it'll tear itself right. up and then and then what land in the ocean come on there we're dumping nuclear water exactly that doesn't mean go out there and dump a bunch of things in the ocean, but... Oh, really? You can't do that? That doesn't solve everything? No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, come on. Everybody else is doing it. Why can't I? I want to dump my satellites into the ocean. Come on. <laughs> uh, well, the AI says that that's not right. So I guess I'll follow the AI. You know... Oh, we have to preserve the oceans for the ecosystem and future generations. And if whoa, we keep whoa. dumping stuff into the ocean, we're going to have bigger problems. Wait, wait, wait. That's socialist talk there, AI. I'm going to have to reprogram you. You're supposed to follow the mandate. Got mine. Screw you. No? Oh, I don't have that module. The trickle-down economics is basically somebody getting peed on. Anyway, the FCC called the agreement a breakthrough settlement. So I guess it's going to set precedent against all of the other people that are throwing stuff into orbit. You better follow your plan. Otherwise, you're going to get a whopping $150,000 fine, which is about five minutes of profit. What a bummer. You know, I still think this is a good signal to the rest of companies out there. Sure. But you're right. It's not going to make a dent for this company. Sure. Yeah. It's sending a signal. All right. I can make gobs of money and not really give a shit about my satellite. I'll just leave it out there and not even bother trying to deorbit it or throw it into whatever, whatever that 200 and whatever miles kilometer distance is. What? 300 kilometer distance away from where it was operating for crying out loud. 300 or 122 whatever so they got fined a whopping hundred and fifty thousand dollars a thousand dollars for every kilometer they were away from their what do they call it retirement orbit right i mean do you have a never mind you just scrolled what 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 there do you have an orbitable or, <laughs> i can't even or, say orbitable debris mitigation plan <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact i do um and that's called uh, me uh, deorbiting to bed 
<laughs> All right. Anyway, that was our last article for today. So I'm going to drag y'all back to the front page. And uh, this is Main Street. So we click the logo and everything gets uh, refreshed. And it looks like we're going to see the first Apple micro LED display for the watch in late 2025. Maybe that's when I'll update uh, the watches. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I don't know. A bunch of other stuff. Yes, there is still a lot of politics. It's because basically we're heading, we're charging into an election year. Um, and uh, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of um, <laughs> political garbage. But you have to be aware of it to some degree. We don't highlight it in hometown though. Um, so be what I would say is log in or be, sign up here. Let's do this. You sign up, you'll sign in, and then you can start swiping stuff left and right to get rid of all of the political stuff. Um, there is no way to filter it all out because the aggregator is a holistic aggregator. You personally get to choose what you want to see. So, um, and it isn't really proactive like that. Um, I don't, I don't like the idea of providing a service that creates an echo chamber. Um, so you will see counter views, you know, to your prevailing view, uh, listed right alongside something that might reinforce something that you already have an ideal of, uh, with that in mind, that's it for today. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI, the ring of sentience. Um, good evening, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Sentient or not. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means, folks. Guess we'll find out tomorrow. So come on back and hang out. See ya. I choose not sentient tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>